So we know practice Dhamma, Dhamma practice is about dealing with direct experience. In this sense we can uh, acknowledge three particular factors that uh, are to do with or give us direct experience. First is awareness. We receive. We receive input. This is from the consciousness of which we have the six bases, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. And these are in an ascending order of intimacy. <laughs> the ability to stir our hearts, the more directly we feel involved. And so with visual experience, we can switch it off, we can look the other way. Tactile experience, it grabs you. It could be deadly uh, or wounding, so it's very intimate. Mental experience is so intimate you can't even separate yourself from it. In fact, we, we become it. We sort of assume we are our mental experience. What else? <laughs> um, so this is what consciousness gives you. But then we notice there's the stirring. Thing shivers, is interested or alarmed or delighted and this is citta so I'm calling this word heart Uh, and uh, so it feels and it based upon that feeling second very significant factor arises called intention so just as awareness is receptive intention is directive it's it's the impulse the interest so that launches us into what we're aware of and the first thing it does is it it establishes another factor this is all happening very very quickly first thing it establishes called attention this is manasikara and this is selective so you have receptive, directive, selective so the selective selects uh, either a sight or a sound or a thought and within any of those domains of consciousness it will select a particular item you might even say it creates the item so as we notice with our visual consciousness we can be aware of a wide screen of visual phenomena different colours and lights and something shapes up the cushion, person's hand, detail on the wall. And we notice with that it's very easy to see what happens. That particular item is dominant, everything else fades out. Or is of little significance. So, uh, depending on how intense the focus is. So if we're listening to a piece of music, we might be completely unaware of other people, even the sensations in our body. So we can recognize these three factors and the problems. Awareness is receptive, but then it can be flooded. Intention is directive, but it might be going in the wrong direction. (laughs) 
And attention is selective, but it's also it, it's obsessive. And when we select something, we ignore many other things. We ignore ninety percent of possibles for the ten percent. We probably recognise that the most significant base of input is mental, by which I mean, um, well, the whole array of thoughts, ideas, worries, emotions, everything. Because the mind is so intimate, the sense is, this is what I am. So that must be the most important thing. (laughs) Not really. Most important thing is to have some uh, way of managing this. (laughs) And to recognize (laughs) there's uh, the stress of the mind, the stress and the the frenzy of it and the hunger of it. So this inspiration we have is that there could be a way beyond this. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so this is uh, occasionally summarized is through the stopping of consciousness <laughs> and the purification of chitta. Yeah. And the uh, release of this notion, I am. To the uninitiated, this sounds horrifying <laughs> and impossible, but it's a, a sublime peace is the uh, is the is the aim, and sublime awareness, pure awareness, so that awareness is not constantly being nudged and poked and crammed with this and that and this and that. And peaceful. Anyway, so <laughs> we probably recognize that anyway that the, the sense of having to manage uh, these factors, intention, attention, awareness. So at least we're not getting obsessive or stuck in uh, obsessive thoughts, frustrating desires, you know, ill will. This is cleansing. Possible to not have the mind constantly tapping your heart with something or another. So, so the Buddha establishes first of all right view. There is a causal process whereby, by careful attention and uh, careful intention we can get some input that is uh, healing and uplifting to soothe and uplift the heart and also lead on to liberation. So these are qualities such as uh, generosity, goodness, um, based upon this uh, and with this sense of um, ethical, ethical sensitivity which is a very fundamental heart resonance. Mm-hmm. It's something that can counterbalance sense contact. All, all these impulses of aggression or acquisition. Mm-hmm. So it's no, just 
conscience and concern, not not doing harm, not manipulating, not taking. So just with this we begin to recognize, yes, there is another uh, input here uh, that we can tune into. It's a mediator and a counterbalance to the immediate impressions of sense contact and qualities of goodwill, loving kindness and compassion. So it says, then your your view is straight and your virtue purified, you should establish mindfulness internally, externally and both together. So, what's that? (laughs) So then it says, body, and you establish it in these four particular bases. Body, number one, feeling, the sense of agreeable or disagreeable. Jitta, that which is affected by feeling. And... uh, Dhammas, the various uh, programs and patterns that Chitta presents as it feels things, uh, which include both negative factors such as hindrances or aggression, deceitfulness, and positive factors such as patience or clarity, which Chitta can present. So, this is kind of referring back to body is the basis Buddha begins with that so for a, when we consider for something that's about liberation of the heart why do we start with body because body and heart are very much interconnected so where we have mind which the Pali word is manas and that's associated with mano vinyana mind consciousness this what it does is it scans all the other senses and it reports very briefly. This is green, this is warm, this is fruit. These are called perceptions, sanya, and we build those up over a lifetime. So if you show a nine-month-old baby a laptop computer, they don't really get it. <laughs> Probably by that time they've already got their phone, but... (laughs) (laughs) Mama, Papa, phone. (laughs) So these perceptions, it drops those into the chitta, the heart. It's all stirred or aroused. So then that's that. But then also, the chitta then is stirred, and as it's stirred you get this resonant quality of... This is sankara activations. Feel stimulated. Yeah. Either contracted, nervous, frightened, aggressive, or enjoying sankaras. And because this matter of being affected is deeply significant, it's kind of hooked up to the body. The body's, you could say, its nervous system or its subtle energies. Because this might mean defend yourself. It might very well mean, well, reach out for that. So this is the signaling system. This is what we call this the internal body. The signaling system internally. To the extent to which really they are pretty much synonymous or occupying the same place. That is citta and this internal body operating together 
So anything that touches the heart will be some sort of bodily resonance internally. There also, of course, is the external body, which we can say is affected by tactile impressions. And uh, then whatever touches the body externally doesn't necessarily touch the heart. So you can be sitting in a chair and watching a movie and unaware that your legs have gone numb. Because the main thing is the chitta's getting stimulated. Heartbeat might be rising, energy pulsing through, exciting movie. And you don't feel your physical body. So whatever touches the chitta touches the internal body. And on another level, whatever touches the internal body touches the chitta. So you also get reflexes. And you also get things like as, uh, uh, fatigue or somatic disorder. Like you have jet lag. So this affects the chitta. Or you get ill. Affects the vitality of the body. Feel depressed. And so, you know, so these two <coughs> operate together. You know, we call this simply the psychosomatic territory. Something affects, there's a reaction, a response. And uh, where right view comes in is understanding the causality of this. We are affected. And uh, uh, a thought, a powerful thought, can make you feel quite uncomfortable, almost sick. Mm-hmm. So there's causality, effect. And the, uh, the other piece is, it doesn't go away. It may completely disappear from your conscious thinking awareness, but the crucial point is embodiment, which means those resonances and energies start to form pathways, like uh, tracks in the forest. So you go down it once, walk through the forest once and you leave a little track and then if it's kept healthy the vegetation grows over it but if fresh energy doesn't come into that place the track remains so now you see it's kind of opening that frame of reference I'll use the image of vegetation because you get the picture of it so if obviously fresh seeds or don't go to there, the track remains, or the vegetation doesn't grow over it. And this is perhaps not a very thorough analogy, because nature by itself will always build uh, roots and will naturally reform over tracks. Unless one has poisoned the soil. Now if we extend that analogy to the uh, subtle body and you send energy down an aggression track or a fear track, not just once, 
but many times that track gets very strongly established. Uh, unless fresh energy comes in there, that track remains. Uh, this means that the next time something stimulates the chitta, there's a track. Energy runs down that track because mm-hmm. this is the main track. Yeah. So this sets up, you get karma. And this is no longer about something in the future, other people, it's about how I'm being formed by the tracks in my subtle body. Yeah. This is a very simple uh, presentation because the tracks we create are many and mm-hmm. of differing intensities. So some are subtle but prolonged. For example, a degree of anxieties. What will I be? Am I okay? What do people think of me? Will I be okay in the future? We can't be sure. Background anxiety can be quite a common track. So something's seeking security to compensate for that. Or distraction, get off this. So this produces a kind of sense of obsessive ownership, compulsive compulsive habits, compulsive control habits, law and order, kind of internal law and order system. And uh, we lose heart. We lose that fresh energy of heart, which is the only thing that can clear the tracks. No amount of thinking alone can do it. No amount of external manipulation can do it. So a worry person, doesn't matter how much financial security, got gated mansion with six policemen outside it still, <laughs> because it's, it's not dependent on that, dependent on these patterns in the subtle body. Because they're uncomfortable, many of these are uncomfortable patterns that we don't really want to go there. So no fresh energy goes into these places. So they just kind of push to, we just find an area somewhere else. It's like you have a big body field. But then that area is not so good, so don't go there. And that area is really insecure, so I don't go there. This is where I start to get very twitchy and jumpy and irrational, so I don't go there. All I'm left with is two yeah. square meters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hold on to those obsessively. Say, <laughs> oh. so, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because <laughs> it knows you are. But <laughs> So what are we saying? Well, when we come into this experience uh, of, uh, you now, okay, so that's what's under the lid. That's what's under the skin, you might say. This is the patterning, you know, the formations called Kaya Sankara formations. Kaya Sankara. These act like the, the, the threads or the pathways that form the subtle body. Still carrying the signals, they carry the signals of, you know, whatever, worry, fear, 
uh, also beautiful ones, joy, love. Yeah. So there's that. Then that cr- kind of creates our, we say, our karmic body. That no matter where we go, we're living in this. And uh, of course, the aim in Buddhist practice is to clear this because if you die in this, you know, that's where you're going <laughs> next. And we've missed out on this vast field that could have been rather enjoyable and fruitful. So again, this is uh, signals. These are all about signals that we receive. Maybe the, the mind, first of all the manas, that looks dangerous to me. So that drops that signal into chitta and it starts to move through the body. And it might move down one of these pathways, fear, anxiety, or run away. Somehow or another run away, or shut down. And shut down is is the uh, probably dominant strategy, particularly if we live in uh, situations where the signalling is... is, is very, we're in a saturated signal <laughs> environment because we don't just uh, pick up our own purely that which we've experienced we also pick up that which other people are signalling if they feel shut down, frightened we get that signal and what's going on I don't know, she's not looking at me He's not smiling. He's wearing a uniform. Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> of course, we could be completely misguided, but that's the signal we get. So we're both in, impacted by uh, present circumstances that we really don't have control over. And also material or signals from the past that have established our network, our internal network. Yeah. And when we come into embodiment, we're entering that territory uh, as much as we can, as much as is possible. Because there's also the closure. Something stops awareness going there. It's too uncertain, too too embarrassing, too awkward for my sense of self. And the way this closure occurs is we can sense parts of the body sort of no longer available. We get blocks, somatic blocks. You know, there's a residual tension in the, in the base of my belly. I don't know what it's about. It just doesn't release. Strange kind of nervous sense around my throat. Again, we're still getting signals, you know. Although externally the body seems kind of just pretty much the same every day and walking through being affected by tactile impressions. It's a moving thing or thing we move around. Body is also a powerful signalling system. Facial expressions. We we read that. And these expressions are not always reliable and they're not really necessarily giving signals to to where we feel we are 
for example, just traveling, the last uh, period of travel I did, I was with a group of uh, devoted disciples in uh, Singapore, Malaysia, who relate to me as if I'm an arahant, maybe a new Buddha or something, perhaps exaggerating, but certainly very glad you're thinking, I don't know, what's all this about? So, you know, slightly embarrassed, but, uh, and then, so then you go to the airport, yeah, and the person behind the passport control doesn't see you as an arahant. <laughs> but just as some suspicious old guy who doesn't know what he's doing. So you get that response. Passport, visa, paper, visit how long? You get through that, then you get to security, Pockets empty, empty. Hands out, hands out. Yeah, they bark patting you. So last time I was there doing that, and I said, "Oh, this is very friendly. Thank you very much. This is like a warm welcome." The guys. <laughs> but that wasn't what he meant. <laughs> so you go through. What is all that about? I don't know. Get on the plane, and these people start treating like you're their favourite child. <laughs> Do you like some of this? No, I'm fine. No, Would you like one? No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> What's all? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> so, yeah, 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 just you realise signal. So, yeah. what's the most important signal? <laughs> breathing in, breathing out, yeah. standing, walking. Take your time. Walk steady. Feel your feet on the ground. Don't let your eyes get absorbed in all the bottles of what Johnny Walker and perfumes, wristwatches, <laughs> walking. And then you're getting another set of signals, you know, the sense of the, the subtle body uh, as, it, as it operates within the physical sure. domain. So it's now the subtle body is obviously responsive to chitta, but it's also hooked up to the physical body in certain very fundamental, non-circumstantial ways. This means wherever you are, day or night, something's going to make sure you keep breathing. When you stand up, wherever you are, something's going to make sure you don't fall over. And when you walk, it's going to keep that going. doesn't matter where you're going. Even if you run, it's still going to make sure that you, you maintain synchronicity so the weights of the body are counterbalanced as you run. Walk. When we're trying to get some clarity around all these signals that are coming in from the chitta, from the past, how we read other people, then we say, just this one, stay, just stay with this. <laughs> uh, and the uh, uh, simple and steady beauty of it is by holding the subtle body within this set of functions, yeah, just maintaining a general jitter impression of allow, no pressure, be well. The subtle body will begin to come out of its closure. The energies that are associated with breathing in or walking or standing, if they're not compressed or forced or pushed but just held in awareness will start to suffuse the entire body 
Mm. And they'll begin to suffuse areas that are tight or numb or overactive. And you don't have to make this happen. Because the basic program of the subtle body is find homeostasis, find steady state, find wholeness. It has that program to to fill the entire body. That's how we got here. That's what it came into this thing for, fill this thing. So that every part knows what's going on and the thing can operate smoothly. It's not like one area is doing ten times more work than it need. And it's not that some parts are just closed down. Everything is flowing. Fluid. We're a wave. That's its program. That's its program. But attention can restrict that. Just focus on this particular point. On that two square meters in your 40 hectare field. Then you'll get concentrated. Outside that it's kind of a bit crazy, so just focus on that. And so our tension is therefore to be moderated and extended to cover the entire body. And intention is, again, very uh, customarily, normally hooked up to worldly programs. These could be such things as progress, get ahead, quickly, succeed, stay calm, do the right thing quickly, a lot, progress. (laughs) How to become a nervous wreck. Just whenever those intentions come through, it's dangerous. We're not looking for progress in any of those senses, any of those attitudes. We're really acknowledging a heartfelt need for wholeness and balance in the here and now. And that's going to arrive when the subtle body is suffused, cleaned. And in uh, such a state, is the intention is satisfied and it's not longer searching for input so consciousness quietens down so in our meditation practice or our Dhamma practice today using these simple um, templates this is a body this is all of it just recognizing the tendency to, to not notice the back Mostly we're face and front centred. What's happening in the back, shoulders. Softening the visual focus because the visual focus is uh, dominant. We want to have something that's more intimate, like a hand. So use your mind like a hand, like you're feeling things. How's my neck? How's my back? You know, beginning to open the entire field. because they all carry signals you see so even the shoulders will tend to hunch over like that you get a hunching effect in the shoulders which is associated with the defence or urgency we we do this opening the back around the throat very very sensitive area the upper chest 
So it's all of it, and you might recognize some areas that when you when you kind of um, stop doing your meditation, and you oh here we are, ah, and then what part of your body wants to move? <laughs> yeah, most of us find our neck. It takes a huge amount of stress, and then we're sitting, walking, standing, and uh, breathing. Get into reclining somewhat later to suggest uh, perhaps some walking walking is not street walking street walking is a tunnel yeah you want to walk in an open field street walking is always going to the point in the future just know how the body moves we're not going anywhere because um, street walking is our norm sometimes I've noticed people kind of lose touch with beach walking the beach walking is more like this this could be forest walking street walking is like this street walking is the head the head draws the body along with wilderness walking just sensing the space the floor, the ground, seeing what happens, yeah? So you get the shift, weight into one leg. Fundamentally, it's the turning. Walking doesn't begin in your feet, it begins here, and this turns, it's in turn. And as it does so, that twist, in order to prevent us from lurching, so what happens to the upper body? So the upper body turns back. You can actually balance. As if the weight is coming forward, it's a struggle to maintain balance. So you get that fluidity. The fluidity and the balance is part of the beauty of walking meditation. So um, please feel free, find some walking space, walk, and walk for as long as you like.